Philippians chapter 4. We're at the end of this book, um, we're, and you say, all right, so where do we go? Because last week we talked about oh, the big chunk, um, and we hit in Philippians 4 and verse 20, you get Paul ending the letter. Um, and as I mentioned last week, Paul just, he, he can't end a letter. So he finishes the letter with verse 20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever, amen. And you just get the feeling like the, the elders from the Philippian church, they got the letter and they're like, they read it to God and Father be glory forever and ever, and amen. And then they turned it over, they're like, oh wait, Paul had something else. And he says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers, meaning the brothers and sisters, who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now, you might say, well, that's pretty straightforward. I mean, what's packed into there? Well, remember, Paul never wastes a word. He's always looking um, to use everything that he says to teach something. So even the way he, well, he greets people and the way that he ends letters is significant. And so I want to take a few minutes and I just want to unpack these three very simple verses and see what Paul is saying in the context of this letter. This has been a letter about um, influences coming to the church, telling people that, that the gospel was more than just following Christ, that people had to um, adopt some of the Jewish practices. Um, it, it, there were uh, people that Paul called dogs who were trying to corrupt the church. There were these two women who seemed to have um, been foundations of the church who were arguing with each other. Um, at the beginning of chapter 4, that he, he entreats the church to, um, to, to help them reconcile and come back together and share a mind. So if you could, if you could really kind of look at Philippians, it is, it is this idea that we have this life together. Uh, I titled this series, A Worthy Life. Um, but it's not a life that we have individually. It's not each of us living an individual life. But what is the church's life? Is the church's life a worthy life. And Paul takes the time to isolate some of the things that are wrong with this church so that the church can address those situations, improve, and grow, and continue to be involved in the work of the gospel. I think that he really wants us to understand, you know, he, he writes to this, um, to this particular congregation, but then he speaks to the church across the ages. The Holy Spirit uses Paul to speak to us and speaks to us about the way that we look at church and the way that we look at our relationships to one another in the church. Now, I grew up in a pastor's home, um, and so, uh, so when I was growing up, we always learned this little thing, and I've mentioned this before, but you would put your hands together, and you would go, here's the church, and here's the steeple. Open the doors, where are the people? And then you would go, here's the church, here's the steeple. Open the doors, see all the people. And um, as a little kid, I really, I mean, first of all, it was hard to do this as a little kid. Um, so I would, my church would always wind up still empty. Um, but uh, but uh, as, I, as I got older, as I, I started to, to serve in ministry, I realized that, that there's, there's, a fundamental, there's a fundamental theological problem with that little thing. Now, I mean, everything that's oversimplified needs to, is you know, you can't, if you had to say everything you needed to say every time you needed to say it, you'd never say anything else. Um, and, and, uh, and, you know, this idea though, but here's the church. Well, this is problem number one. This is not the church. 
The building with the steeple is not the church. But then there's a second problem. It's like, here's the church, here's all the people. And they say, well, the people are the church. Well, there's an issue with that. The people aren't the church. Because just putting a group of people together does not make it a church. Just putting a group of Christians together doesn't make it a church. You know, It's the relationships between the people that are bonded by the Holy Spirit that make it the church. The church is not just a group of people in a building. It's a group of people who are united. They have the same mind that, is in, that was in Christ Jesus all the way back to Philippians 2. It is the church coming together in Christ for Christ, through Christ. It's not just people. It's relationships among people and how they're interwoven by the Spirit of God. And so when Paul writes to this church, he decides that the way that he's going to end this, after he's already ended it, his second ending, all right, it's not first breakfast, it's second breakfast, elevensies, you know, the, the, the uh, little Lord of the Rings joke there. Uh, but uh, but it's, it's a... He decides to give them a a little kicker at the end, and it's just this simple phrase, right? Greet, greet, greet. Now, we read that word, and we say greet. So how do you greet people? Now, those of you that are over, over the age of 40, how did you learn to answer the phone? Hello, such and such a residence, right? Now, a lot of that had to do with originally when there were shared lines, you had to identify who you were um, because, because it could have been anybody. So you were identifying yourself. And your parents always told you, if you were a kid, you were growing up, you answered the phone, they always told you not to tell them what? What? Uh, are your parents home? Or to give, give the person a name. You know, hi, this is Eric. Right? You, you never answered like that because you were a little kid. Right? And they, they didn't want you. There was a real fixation with us getting stolen. Um, I'm pretty sure, and Tom, I mean, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that our parents were kind of hoping that, you know, they're like, just go. Yeah, they, they're right. They'd return us. They were like, they're like, here. In fact, we'll pay you to keep them. Um, so, uh, so this, this whole, uh, the, but this whole greeting thing. Now, how do people answer the phone now? Yo, well, first of all, they don't. Right, like, 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 unless they have absolutely nothing else to do, they don't answer the phone. They just let it go to voicemail. And ninety percent of the time, for me anyway, this is this is my new, you know, mo in the last like 15, ten years or so. It has been I call, I let it ring four or five times. Right, they're not going to answer. I just hang up and send them a text message. Because, because I mean, I personally, the extra clicking of having to reach my voicemail. Oh goodness, I mean, it's so much work. And then my phone has to read it to me. I mean, it's just so hard. Um, you know, but I mean, you remember the days. I remember the days before answering machines. Now, most of you, many of you do remember this day. All right. When you called and nobody left, nobody answered, you're just going to have to call again. Then your rich friends got a tape answering machine that would click on and almost always it was full. Right? Like you'd call, you had to sit through the whole message. Like you've reached the Thompson residence, the home of, uh, you know, Terry, and go, and no, 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 please leave a message at the, at the tone. Hey, beep! Like, great. 
Then there, was, then there was voicemail. You got voicemail that was stored somewhere else. It was stored somewhere in the cloud, you know. Um, and you, so you didn't have to. And then you get it now. You can get it on your phone. You can delete it on your phone, the whole, the whole thing that goes on with that. And so we've changed our phone etiquette. Phone etiquette used to be, hello, this is the DeVitro residence. I still remember my phone number when I was a kid. I don't know my own daughter's phone number, but I remember that when I was three years old, I learned 201-475-3041. Um, for some reason, I wasn't allowed to give people my name, but if I got lost, I was supposed to give some random adult my phone number and my address. That was logic in the 70s, I guess. Um, but uh, so, so, you know, I had 252 Pequest Road, Belvedere, New Jersey. And they're like, we're in Belvedere, New Jersey. Okay, good. Where's my house? Um, but, uh, see, you know, I, I, I mean, I struggle to remember. I, I don't know any of your phone numbers because my phone knows them. Apple knows, and that's all that matters. <laughs> Apple will tell me. And when you call, write caller ID. Who remembers caller ID? When it first came out, like, I see a number. I don't know whose it is, but I see a number. And then it started to tag people with names. You know, it's like, oh, so now, now you pick up the phone. You ever find yourself, you just pick up the phone. Hey, Ray. And, and, and if you're talking, <laughs> I still have friends who are like, how did you know it was me? <laughs> like, do you not look at your phone before you answer it? Like a big name. It's got his picture on it, for crying out loud. So we, we view greetings in kind of an interesting way, right? We, we, we tend to, our greetings change all the time. We went from handshakes to elbow bumps. Now we just greet each other from a distance, you know, the, the, the COVID wave, you know, hey. Um, and, you know, greetings change. People deal with greetings in different ways. There are, there are overbearing greetings. I, I met a, a, a church consultant one time who insisted on bear hugging everybody when he greeted them. And you guys know me and hugging. And, and he was big. And it was like he just walked up and like engulfed me. And I was just like hanging there. He picked me up. My feet were dangling. I'm like, please let me go. Um, I, you know, everybody greets a little different. Well, Paul, when he uses this word greeting, what is he talking about? Well, um, the Greek idea of a greeting is um, it, it's, kind of, it's kind of a sense of, of saying done well or well joined, well met, which is an old, um, it's an old Anglo-Saxon way of greeting people. They would say well met. So you would, you would um, you know, you'd, you'd say hello to everybody, would, you'd greet, and you would say uh, good morning or good day or whatever, and then when you were done, you would shake hands and they would say well met. Um, now, we don't say that anymore. Now, we, have, we do have another version of it that exists earlier in our conversations when we say welcome, which if you think about it, what on earth does that mean? Thank you. You're welcome. Welcome? What, what is the derivation? Well, that is, the idea is you've arrived, you've well come. All right, you've come well, and well met, you're leaving now, well met. Um, and so there was this idea of well met. Well, so English, English doesn't have that anymore, but this is kind of the word, the idea that Paul is using. He's, he's saying, uh, remember to say well met. So in other words, you're in this conversation with these people, and you're, you're in a relationship, and we're going to, um, we're going to draw from it. And he, he says three things. He says, first, he says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. So what he means is, let everybody in Philippi know that they are well met, that I, you know, I'm thinking about them. I'm, I'm in a relationship with them. I'm joined with them. Let them know I'm, I'm a part of their lives. But then he says... Secondly, he says, the brothers who are with me greet you. So the ones that are with me, I want you to let everybody know that, that 
I'm thinking of them, and I want you to know that everybody here is thinking of you. And then he says a third group. He says, uh, he says uh, um, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. So he's got this third group. He says, everybody that's here greets you, you know, especially the ones who are part of Caesar's household. Now, Paul packs into this a very interesting kind of a situation, kind of a scenario. Why focus on the believers who are in Caesar's house? Now, these aren't Caesar's relatives, all right? The, the Caesar's household is a reference for all the servants and slaves and ministers that, were get, that worked for Caesar. And if you remember all the way back at the beginning, I talked about how uh, Paul would have lived, he probably would have had a residence up toward the, um, the, the um, internal praetorian uh, fortress. There, there were two fortresses for the Praetorian Guard. One was in the northwest of Rome, uh, up against the river, and one was outside of Rome. Uh, the Cohortus Urbanus, the ones that are inside, um, and then the Cohortus Praetorian. Um, so, so there are two facilities. He would have been on the one on the inside of the city, and every morning, Paul would have walked with a Praetorian Guard, and presumably, other people who had appeals to Caesar, they would walk down to, up to the Palatine Hill. They would wait outside to see whether Caesar was going to hear their case, and if they didn't, then they would walk back. So, and it was a, you know, a mile and a half, two mile walk, and they would just do this every day. That was the way it worked. Um, you waited, Caesar would come out of his door, and he would either hear cases or he would go to the Senate. That was how he worked. And so, so Paul would wait. So he's familiar with this, and over the course of time, a number of people in Caesar's household, a number of people, servants, slaves, whoever they were, in Caesar's household, had come to faith, and they were a part of the church in Rome. And Paul wants to remind the Philippians, he, he isolates these people. He says, not only do all the brethren, not only do all the saints greet you, but especially those in Caesar's household. Well, that's significant for a lot of reasons. For one thing, Philippi is a Roman colony, so evoking Caesar's name has a lot of power. Um, uh, it, but for another thing, it tells us that the church is... Um, is spread out, it's starting to really spread out into all tiers of the society in Rome. That there are not only the brothers, the really close, intimate believers, but there are all these saints and there are people who are in Caesar's household and the church is spreading out beyond what they might have thought the church could ever be in Rome. So... Why does Paul evoke these three? He makes sure that we know that um, we, he makes sure that we know that there is um, the the people in Philippi and the people in Rome, and particularly the Roman the Caesar's household. This very diverse, very spread out church. Well, remember, Philippi has been dealing with division. They've been dealing with um, some some major doctrinal issues, but then also dealing with some minor things that have been difficult. And so Paul is going to greet them, um, and he closes with this idea that it's been well met for everybody, because regardless where we are on the spectrum of agreement and disagreement, the church is always going to be defined by our unity, our unification in Jesus Christ. Now, what does that mean? Let's take a look at what Paul packs into here, into this. 
Remember that he says they are saints in Christ Jesus. That's the unity in, in Jesus Christ right up the bat. Right off the bat, we see that. Christ, we are united in Christ, right? So the, the foundation of the church, whether it's in Philippi or Rome or Merrimack, is that we are saints not of our own ability but in Christ Jesus. Then secondly, he identifies us um, as brethren, as brothers and sisters. So there's a family relationship. There's a, there's a lordship relationship that we are all brought together in Christ Jesus. And then there's a family relationship that we are all brothers and sisters within that body, within that unification, within that lordship. And then um, he kind of drops us a third one when he gets down. He says at verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So he offers us three levels in which the church can be united and be well met. The first level is we are all in Christ Jesus. So, so the lordship of Christ, that we are saints because of Jesus, so we can all look at our identity as Christians and say, this is because of Christ. Then secondly, we can go and we can look at it and we can say that um, we are in Christ Jesus and we are brothers, we are sisters, we are peers, we are um, neither one better or worse than the other, all in Christ Jesus. And then finally, that our spirits are knit together. Now, what that means is not that we all agree about everything, that we do everything the same way, but rather that as God brings us together, the bits and pieces of us um, that fit together, fit together. The bits and pieces of us that don't fit together, don't fit together. I, it always fascinates me that people think that every bit of, like, Everything about somebody has to fit with what you want, your expectations of them in order to get along. You know, people are like, well, you know, and I do this. Everybody does this. You're like, you know, this person, they're great about this, about this, about this, but I don't know about. And it, you know what occurred to me, you know, as I was thinking about this is, is you, ever, you ever notice, I don't know if any of you do jigsaw puzzles. I don't know if jigsaw puzzles are a thing anymore. Um, you know, I, I don't think they've come up with an app that solves your jigsaw puzzles for you yet. Um, but you know, jigsaw puzzles, when you're doing a jigsaw puzzle, there's only some parts of a piece that match with other pieces, but they all fit together. You know? So it's not like, it's not like you have to have every piece of the jigsaw puzzle fit every space of every other piece of the jigsaw puzzle. There's only one way that the jigsaw puzzle pieces come together, and then this piece might connect with this piece, but then it needs to connect with this piece, so it's got to be different in order to connect to that one. And then there's a piece way over here that if you don't make all of those connections right, the chain of things won't fit to make that one part of the puzzle. So it's all an interrelationship of weird amorphous shapes. I really want to know who invented the form of jigsaw puzzles. Like the, all right, so what we're going to do is we're going to make one end bulbous. We're going to make them look really similar. And then when we're doing like the sky or the ocean where everything's the same color, we want all the pieces to have the same shape. And we want everybody to get really frustrated about this. We want to make sure that they struggle with this. Um, but eventually, we, we have this situation where it all works out, right? The puzzle fits together when the pieces that fit together with the other pieces fit, but the pieces that don't fit together don't need to fit in order for the puzzle to work. You don't need to make the pieces that don't fit fit. They fit where they fit. 
Get it? You, you know what I'm saying? I mean, if, if you're like me as a kid, you're like, it's so close. I think I can make that work. I think I can get that piece to fit. I can make it. All I need, I just need an exacto knife, and it will fit. And my mother's like, no, there's a specific way to put this. Yes, this way. Get me the knife. I'm going to do a little surgery. It's going to fit. But that's an eye, and this is a mouth. I don't care. I'm tired. I'm frustrated with this. It's going there. That's a... So often, that's what we try to do in the church. We try to make the pieces fit where we want them to fit instead of welcoming the idea that God has put the body together to fit as it fits. And that means that every church, every congregation is going to be a little bit different. It means that not every solution works for every church. It's one of my issues I have with like church consulting where they have like a, a, a uh, well, I have issues with anybody that goes through a list of things and just, well, is it this, this, this? Okay, this is the answer. It's like every answer has to be different. Every answer has to be nuanced. There aren't, I mean, you can generally deal on principles, but things have to be different. Every friendship, every relationship that we have, it's a little different. You're not friends with, uh, with everybody the same way. You have different friends that you have different uh, connections with. And, and the, the framework works, but you can't force it. It's the same way in the church. The Spirit brings us together when, when under the Lordship of Christ as our, our Savior, we're saints in Christ Jesus, and viewing each other as brothers and sisters, we are able to just kind of go, okay, so how does the Holy Spirit want us to fit? And when we fit correctly, when we fit appropriately, it works. It may not work the way we want it to work, but it works. How many of you ever did uh, plastic models of, of jets or cars when you were a kid? So first of all, who invented that glue? All right. But secondly, secondly, how many of you ever got to like a part and you went, well, I know there's supposed to be this piece, but if I just put this piece in, it'll be fine. Nobody will notice. But things go together for a certain way and Paul greets them and says, this is how it should be. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And if I can give you one piece of Philippians that is, that is important here, it is that the way, the patience, we, the, we have to acquire the patience to allow God's grace to settle the pieces where they belong. We have to have patience that God will bring relationships in as he brings them in. We can't force them. We can't demand. We can't push. Now, we don't have to be complacent and just go, well, you know, if God wants us to have people, they'll show up. But we have to be patient with what God is doing. As he works in our lives and our hearts, we might want to go, let's get this done. Ah, I want it. That's not how God works. Sometimes there are moments where there's explosions of new relationships and people coming to faith and baptisms every week, and that's awesome. And sometimes there aren't. But as long as we're trusting the grace of Christ, the church will, will mold into the puzzle that it's supposed to be. The pieces will fit where the pieces will fit. And we have to believe and trust that the Holy Spirit knows what he's doing. Not every relationship we have is perfect right off the bat. In fact, if you have a perfect relationship right off the bat, one of you is lying. 
Every relationship takes time for grace to settle it into place. In the church, in our homes, in our lives. Grace settles us into place. You say, you know, sometimes I just don't know how I'm ever going to. Grace will settle you into place. Now that place may be that your puzzle piece goes here and their puzzle piece goes way over here. But grace will settle us. We will find our place. But when we try to force it, then we deal with the issues that the Philippians had to deal with. People trying to force a level of spirituality, trying to force relationships. Instead, Paul says, let this mind be in you, in chapter 2, which was also in Christ Jesus. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us together, Lord. We thank you for your word and your truth. May you be honored and glorified in all we do and say. As we conclude this study, may we focus our hearts and minds solely on you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My brothers and sisters,